Amen. If we could return to our, our seats, you could be seated. Wow, you worked a lot quicker at night than you do in the morning. <laughs> Love you too. I was having a uh, conversation a couple days ago with my kids, and we were reminiscing about their childhood, and I began to tell them some stories about um, our my childhood. And we would do a lot of family vacations as it's not like we go far, but I mean, you know, we might go like to Kentucky or something. So it was a long drive. And I was sharing with them and I said, um, you know, one of the things is when you go on a long drive, my dad didn't like to stop, you know, to pick food up or what. So they always brought food. And one of the things that we always had as food on our family vacation were Pop-Tarts. So Pop-Tarts totally awesome okay they're really good and then my mom would bring a little you don't have to keep playing <laughs> That's, I'm sorry um, she would bring a little jug of Kool-Aid and I don't know if she thought we were like traveling around the world but she would pull out a cup you know those NyQuil cups now, if you eat a full Pop-Tart, right? And she would pour a little cup of Kool-Aid. And then she would turn around and start with the youngest of four children. Now you all are sharing this. So pass it around, make sure you leave enough. I, I don't want to tell you what was in that cup by the time it got to me. <laughs> but my kids would laugh and I said, you know, that's just how it was on family vacation, you know, and it's something I've always remembered. And as I was thinking about that this afternoon, I, how many of you guys have gotten in the car and gone on vacation with your kids? Or as a kid, okay. What is the one thing that kids always say? Are we there yet? Right? Are we there yet? And get an amen. Yeah, not real. So kids are so impatient. I, you know, we would, we would get to the destination, and they would see the pool over there with the slide. We weren't, the car wasn't even parked yet. It's like, oh, can we go on the slide now? We don't even have the luggage. Out. Kids are so impatient. And guess what? So are adults. So are adults. And I want to draw tonight from Habakkuk um, a little bit about patience and waiting. And I titled the message, Watch, Wait, and Be Amazed. Watch, Wait, and Be Amazed. And so if you would stand for the word, I'm going to go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, our pastor this morning taught... And he, um, at the end of his message, he mentioned Mephibosheth, or as I like to call him, Mephibosheth. Um, and I will tell you, 
So don't be surprised if I get going through this message if I say Habakkuk. Because before I got into the church here and Bishop corrected me, Habakkuk, it was always Habakkuk. And so as I was kind of reading this, I'm going Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. So just give me a pass tonight because I'm pretty sure I'm going to go there. <laughs> All right, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says... I will stand, this is uh, Habakkuk speaking, upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he, meaning God, will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and he said, write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. That's a powerful statement. Though it tarry, here's our favorite word, wait for it, because it will surely come and it will not tarry. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation too because I really like this. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place, and it will not be delayed, waiting patiently. I don't know, probably not my strongest suit, but uh, very clear in the word of God that we are to wait patiently on God. So if you want to set your Bibles down, let's go ask God to bless this time. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God, for your sweet presence in this place, God, and we just ask that you bless your word right now as it goes forth. God, let it bless each individual that hears it. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> this is a two-water message. <laughs> the book of Habakkuk is sometimes looked at as being a rather insignificant book of the Bible, and yet it is packed with some incredible spiritual truths. There is so much in this book, if you take the time to tear it apart, you are going to see so many different principles in it. The name Habakkuk means embrace, and this little book likely was written during the reign of the wicked king, here it is, Jehoiakim. Did I say that good? All right, Jehoiakim, who ruled Judah from 609 to 598 B.C. The book of Habakkuk is number 35 out of 39 books in the Old Testament. It only has three chapters and 56 verses. And yet this book declares two extremely important spiritual themes. The first is patience, and the second is faith. Patience and faith. And we find this theme in Habakkuk 2 and 4. It says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
It says it this way in the English Standard Version, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. In other words, if we're to be seen as just or righteous in the eyes of God, it will only be because of our faith. And that faith will only be developed through our patience. So, let me bring a little context here and then we'll dive in, um, <clears throat> since I love to do this. Um, as we go to chapter 1, Habakkuk was a prophet with a problem that required answers from God. And we all are there at times, amen? Can I get a transparent amen? We got problems, we got to go to God. And Habakkuk surveys the land of Judah and he observes that it has become violent, unjust, and corrupt. And so Habakkuk cries out to God, and he asks him to get involved, to intervene. He cries, he says, everyone, everyone is breaking your covenant. There's lawlessness in the streets. There's constant fighting and division. Lord, I can't live like this any longer. How long before you do something? How long until you answer me? And what I find very interesting about that is we don't have to immerse ourselves in Habakkuk's world to understand his cry. We can just look at our world today and cry the same prayer. Amen. We can look at the increasing immorality, injustice, and violence in our world and say, how much longer will this go on? Come, Lord Jesus, come. That was the cry for the soul's under the altar in Revelation 6 and 10, it said, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? The problem was the paralyzing of God's law in the days of Habakkuk. Again, we see the paralyzing of God's law in today's society. How about our schools? I'm not going to get on my soapbox here, but they have become paralyzed with laws that are passed preventing prayer and the study of Scripture in school. Yet children are forced to learn about Islam and the Koran and other religions all under the guise of multicultural studies. Paralyzing laws of God. I think of Psalm 119, 126, it says, It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. No matter how much Habakkuk cried unto God with fasting and with prayers and with tears and sackcloth and ashes, it seemed like heavens were silent and God had gone on vacation. But then God answered him, and God's response was not, what Habakkuk was expecting. God told Habakkuk, I'm going to do a work in your day that you will not believe, even though I tell you to your face. The truth was that God was already raising up the nation of Babylon, or other translations say the Chaldeans. It's the same thing. And he's raising them up to come to Judah and the Chaldeans, the most wicked and terrifying of all nations, would come and take Judah captive. And God describes them 
as fierce, ruthless, dreaded, swift, devouring people, bent on violence. It's not really the answer Habakkuk wanted. Habakkuk says, I've waited so long for you to answer. I've fasted, I've prayed, I've waited, and I've waited, and I've waited for you to answer. Here comes Habakkuk's next complaint based on uh, God's response. He says, how can you, a holy God, use an instrument more wicked and reviled than us to discipline your people? And God's reply is that all nations are to be held accountable. Again, not the answer Habakkuk was looking for. How many times do we go to God and we get an answer not quite the answer we were looking for. Amen? So as we move into chapter 2, Habakkuk decides to take a different approach to the whole situation. And he decides to do two things that he didn't do in chapter 1. And he tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Habakkuk needed to get a different perspective on the situation. He said, number one, I will stand watch upon the tower, and number two, I will wait and see what God's answer will be. And in the days of the Old Testament, almost every city had walls and watchtowers that were elevated high above the city. And from these towers, one could get a totally different perspective. You see, Habakkuk was saying, Lord, I'm going to get to a different place. I need to get a different perspective on this whole situation. Habakkuk had been down below. He had been seeing what was going on at the ground level. The Bible says they mocked him. All he can see and hear is chaos. From where he was at, at ground level, he looked like there was no hope. When he looked out, there was no hope. From where he was, it looked like a dead-end road. From where he was, from his perspective, it looked like God had abandoned his own people. And yet somehow Habakkuk seemed to come to the conclusion that I've got to get out of here. I've got to go to a different place. I am surrounded by evil and wickedness. And if I don't get out of here, it's going to destroy my walk with God. Whoo, that speaks today. Let me tell you what, the environment you in, you're in, if you stay in there long enough, and you're not here, and you're not in your word, and you're not in prayer, that environment will start to have an effect on you. And then you start getting an outlook, there's no hope. I can go back to church, there's still no hope. Habakkuk said, I got to go somewhere where I can see things a little more clearly. Habakkuk needed to remove himself from the midst of the problem. And then he put himself in a place where he could see from a clear vantage point, the watchtower. He had to get to his secret place. He had to get to his prayer closet. How many times? You go out to the mailbox and you just pull out five letters and you know their bills. And the decimal point doesn't match your checkbook balance. 
and the kids are screaming. There's no food in the cupboard. And you've you got the TV blaring, and it's telling you about this country invading this country and this country. And some of our leaders have fallen asleep at the wheel. And it, it's just chaos. And sometimes that can mess you up unless, you know what, i got to get away from this. i got to get to my prayer closet. You know, it's not about what's happening. It's who i got to talk to about it. It's who I believe in. It's the one that's faithful. It's the one that knows everything that's going on. And sometimes you just got to get a different perspective. He put himself in a place where he could see clearer. He was no longer talking. He was now listening. Whew. He was no longer arguing with God. Instead, he was submitting. He no longer made demands. Now he was waiting on God. Now he has a clear vantage point to see what's really happening. And sometimes we just need to change our perspective so that we can have a better appreciation of what God is doing. Habakkuk is showing us exactly what we should do. We have to get to a place of prayer where we can begin to see some things through the eyes of God. Not through our eyes, but through his eyes. That's why Solomon would say, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. When we cry out with a bunch of questions like Habakkuk did, we are viewing the situation from our perspective. Hear me now. We're viewing it from our perspective. But we can't do that. We need to remove ourselves from the situation and gain a new perspective. We need to see things from God's perspective. So how do we do that? It's easy for me to say that. How do we do that? I'll give you a one-word answer. Patience. I would hear a needle drop right now. We don't like patience. Patience is not a great word. But this is how Habakkuk did it. He removed himself from his situation and he simply waited on God. The problem is we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. Most of us have very little patience, especially in this country. We, become, we have become what they call it a microwave society. Have you heard that before? Microwave society. The only people in the world today that have patience are doctors. That's all I got tonight. Thank you, folks. But you think about it. We have... And we have incredibly fast planes and fast cars, good roads, plenty of gas, and yet we're always running late. We get our oil changed in less than 20 minutes, and that still takes too long. We have minute rice, instant pudding, lean pockets, and frozen meals that we can get from the freezer to the table in 90 seconds. But that's not fast enough. We'd rather go to Jimmy John's where they're freaky fast and your sandwich is ready in 30 seconds. We just don't have patience in our country anymore, right? Can we all agree that we want God to work his best through us? 
Can I get an amen? Is it possible that we don't have our answer today because God is doing something so great, so beyond our imagination, that we would not believe it even if he told us? That's Bible right there. And this is what he told Habakkuk. God is going to work in his time and in his way. That's why Naaman had to dip seven times in the dirty river. That's why Joshua had to march around Jericho 13 times in one week. That's why Sarah did not have Isaac until she was 90 years old. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We have to have faith that God is going to do it his way and in his time, and we just have to be patient. Love that. We just have to have faith that God is going to do it his way in his time, and we just have to be patient. Throughout the New Testament, patience and faith are always working together to produce what God wants in us. Over 13 times, patience and faith are listed as working one with the other. You don't have to go here, Katie. James 1 and 3 says, The trying of your faith worketh patience. Revelations 14 and 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In other words, the ones who keep their faith in Christ are the ones who have patience in Christ. The trying of your faith worketh patience in you, and the trying of your patience worketh faith in you. They're inseparable. They're absolutely inseparable. Think of it this way. There are things that just naturally go together. Cereal and milk. Bacon and eggs. Peanut butter and jelly. Salt and pepper. Bread and butter. Bonnie and Clyde. Eric and Bridget. <laughs> These things just go together. It's the same with faith and patience. Your faith develops your patience, and your patience develops your faith. And you can't have one without the other. Many times the reason why our faith is so weak is because our patience is so limited. Oof. We want our answers now, right now. So I'm going to drop this divine principle on you. God is going to answer your prayer every single time. Every single time you pray, God answers your prayer. But he answers it three ways. Yes, no, and you need to wait. <laughs> Those are the answers you're going to get from God. There's one other thing I want you to see in this chapter in Habakkuk 2 and 2. It says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. In Scripture, whenever God says, Write it upon tables, he is saying that what I'm about to tell you is so important and so serious that it must be preserved and passed on to future generations. In fact, the word tables is luah. In Hebrew, 
And it's plural. And the only other time the plural is used is when it's directly related to recording the Ten Commandments on, ta on tablets. Habakkuk 2, 3 through 4 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. When God says something, it does not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. It's interesting that where it says the just, a lot of times when we hear that, or we may repeat it, we may say the just live by faith. The just live by faith. The righteous live by faith. I hear that a lot. But that three-letter word there is so important. The just shall live by his faith. And sometimes, I've actually even read this in reading, that they think it's us building our faith. It, we live by the faith that we build within us. That's not what that's saying. There should be a capital H there. The just shall live by his faith. His faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy. We live by his faith, what he's going to do. We, we don't make it happen, folks. It's, it's not about us. The first part of verse 3 that I just read says the vision, the promise, is something to come. It's for an appointed time. It was to be recorded for future generations. And God will always do what he says he's going to do but he's going to do it in his time. That means that between when you get your promise and when it manifests, there is a period of waiting. And it's during that period of waiting that requires patience. And here, brothers and sisters, is where we mess it up. Too many times we allow our lack of patience to rob us of the promise. Too many times we lose our way somewhere in the waiting before we get to the promise. People got, has God spoken to you and give you promises before? Can I, God's given you a promise? Has God given you a promise? Wow, there's one of a lot of hands up here. Come on now. God's given you promises. And are there promises that are yet unfulfilled? Okay. We're waiting. And we're waiting patiently. And that's okay. Whatever God has spoke into your heart, whatever God has spoken into your life, whatever God has declared for this church will come to pass. I believe it. I've said it before. Don't interpret waiting and silence as denial. And sometimes we make that mistake. And we move on. And we move away from what God has for us. Don't interpret waiting to mean that God has somehow faltered in his promise. God told Habakkuk, in the end, the promise will speak. The vision will come to pass. God will make good on what he said, and he will do it. The vision, God said, doesn't lie. That is so powerful. Whatever God has given you, it does not lie. It will come to pass. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen over here. 
Okay, that's good. Praise the Lord. It also says in verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end of it it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And God is speaking to Habakkuk, and he makes what sounds a little bit like a confusing statement. Let me read that again. This is important. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end of it it shall speak and not lie. And though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, and it will not tarry. Here he's saying it tarries, and over here he says it will not tarry. So what's going on here? The first half of the statement is addressed to the reader. That means you. What God is saying is that even though it tarries from your perspective, wait for it. The second half of the sentence, on the other hand, says because it will surely come, it will not tarry. That is heaven's point of view. In other words, from heaven's point of view, it won't tarry because it's already been done. I said this this morning. God's not confined to time. So when he says it's done, it's already done. It's already done. As far as God's concerned, you've already got the answer to your prayer. Now, you might say, I don't see it yet. That's fair, but that's your point of view. But from God's point of view, it's already done. Remember, God doesn't know limitations of time. He inhabits all of space and all of time all at once. He sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right, as if they're right now. As far as God's concerned, the situation has already been worked out. And from God's point of view, the promise has already come to pass. The promise has already been fulfilled. That's why Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Notice the first word. Now. Now faith. Now faith. Not down the road. Now faith. That's us seeing things from heaven's perspective. The substance, things hoped for, that's our perspective. I don't see it yet, but I will tarry because the promise doesn't lie. Even though Babylon was coming to conquer Judah, there would be another to come to destroy Babylon. Media Persia would come. They came and they destroyed Babylon. Judah was eventually set free, and it took 70 years for their freedom to come. And the key in getting through the period of waiting was their patience and their faith. And they weren't always great at that. The scripture declares that God's word will never return void. Amen? The truth is that from the moment the word is spoken, the deed is already done. The same is true with your promise. So don't be discouraged. It's already done. It's just there's a period of time before it manifests. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen, amen. But from God's point of view, it's already done. It's all done. It's already been handled. I love that about God. Isaiah said, but they that wait upon the Lord, 
shall renew their strength. Why? Because the promise doesn't lie. Because the promise is coming to pass. If you wait upon the Lord, you can be rest assured that in the fullness of his time, not our time, his time, he's going to bring that promise to pass. He said in the last days, he will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That's still going on. I saw him pour out his spirit this morning on brand new believer. Amen? He's still doing it. The latter rain, the word says, will be greater than the former. The promise is going to come to pass. And these promises belong to the church. They belong to our church. All these promises. And they are going to come to pass. It's important that we realize why God makes us wait and what he's done doing through the waiting process. And it's in that waiting process that the, the, there's, there's, um, there's this tension between our problems and God's promises, right? There's a tension there. But it's our faith, right, that resolves that tension. And it's being patient that resolves that tension. And that's so important. And God's people had to learn that. He did that all through Scripture. Abraham and Sarah had to wait for a son. Joseph waited for a promotion. Moses waited to be led by the Israelites, to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Joshua waited for the promised land. Ruth waited for a husband. David waited to become king. Elijah waited for rain. Job waited for the suffering to end. Paul waited for the release from prison. In God's wisdom, he knew Abraham and Sarah needed decades to learn that God was enough and that he deserved their trust. He knew Joseph needed years of languishing in prison and cycling through suffering to learn humility and forgiveness. He knew Moses needed 40 years as a country shepherd before he could shepherd God's people. And he knew Joshua needed his 40 years assisting Moses to learn leadership and courage. The waiting is not meant to rob you of your promise. It's meant to prepare you for your promise. Isaiah 40 and 31 says, but they love this. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If you wait, you will renew your strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk, and they shall not faint. Why don't you stand? There's a promise that was given a long time ago. And it was given to someone that's here tonight. And I want to read it. It was a promise given by God to him. Have faith in me. Your house shall be an open door for those who are afflicted and in need of my healing touch. Listen to me, obey my voice, and I will draw them. New Berlin is mine. I have dispatched my forces to encamp about it. Pray as never before. Yes, give of your first fruits unto me of energy and time, and I will humble you 
so I can lift you up and glorify myself. Believe, and it will happen. Alert is yours. These men shall see my power and feel my love. Just you believe. That promise was given 27 years ago. given a long time ago to our bishop now understand when he stepped away God gave him this promise he didn't give him this building he gave him the promise and in faith in faith he stepped out and had a church in his house and he waited and they went to the hotel and they had church and souls were one God was his promise does not lie and he waited and then we went to the leaky tiki and we waited but the church exploded there I remember seeing early pictures of Prospect Hill just before we left for Ronald Reagan. God was filling people with the Holy Ghost. God was baptizing people. How many of you were at Prospect Hill? Let me see your hands. Right? All of you waited. But the promise doesn't lie. We were at Ronald Reagan for a while. And we waited. He waited. And then we got here nine years ago. Just be, and Pastor said this morning, just because we're in this doesn't mean we've arrived. It's a lot nicer than where we were. But this says here, New Berlin is mine. That's God speaking. New Berlin is mine. And we will be the vehicle to see New Berlin not only fill this church, but the parking lot and the grass and the grounds, they're all going to be out there. Because the promise doesn't lie. But we're waiting. And in the waiting, we have patience. And that patience grows our faith. God is doing a new thing. we just raise our hands for a moment let's feel the presence of God in here right now God we know that your promise does not lie and we are your church God we thank you for the promise that you gave our bishop and that's now been passed on to our pastor to lead this congregation but God we know that revival revival is already done from your perspective souls have already been won from your perspective but God we stand here ready willing and able to reach those that are lost right now in this community but this community is yours God
this thing, this, this, this vision, this idea that God gave to Habakkuk. In Habakkuk, it's referred to as an it. But we know in the New Testament, it became a he. God was doing a new thing. He was going to robe himself in flesh and come for us. And there's a lot of people out there that need to know that truth. I'm going to open this altar right now. I believe God has given many of you promises. I don't know if your hand went up. doesn't matter. God knows. But I'm going to open this altar. And I'm just going to ask that you come down here, connect with God, and say, God, I am willing to wait. I will wait. Because your promise doesn't lie. It's going to happen. We're going to see our preaching points blow up. I believe that. Do you believe that? I believe that. We're going to fill this place. It's going to be standing room only. I believe that. I believe that. So I'm going to open this altar right now. If you just want to connect with God this morning, come forward. I'm just going to pray right now that he just touches each individual in here right now. God, I pray for those that you have given promises to, God, that have not manifest yet. God, I pray right now, God, that you would help us, not necessarily to bring that promise right away and right now. If it's not in your timing, God, don't bring it. But God, help us to have the patience to wait for it because we know it doesn't lie. And God, we are believing right now that this church, the promise that you gave so many years ago, God, when you said New Berlin was yours, God, and we are your foot soldiers to go out, God, and win this community, God, I believe it will happen. And God, I pray that you would empower us, God, that you would bring them from the neighborhoods right now. God, there are families right now that are struggling in marriages and struggling with their kids and they don't know where to turn. God, you are the answer to that problem. There are teenagers out there that are crying themselves to sleep at night. They're alone. They don't know what to do and they're using drugs right now to just to feel better. God, I pray against addiction right now in the name of Jesus. And God, draw them, God, to this hospital. God, hallelujah, Jesus, God. God, we're just asking that you touch this community right now. Draw them from the neighborhoods, from the shopping stores, from the factories, God. All through the week, God, just prick their heart. God, put us in positions where we can reach them. Thank you, Jesus. We believe it's done in your precious name, in Jesus' name.